going to do a little summary on a little bit just who we are as a church and uh, our mission before we look at God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can start flipping to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read that in just a moment as well. Um, but that's a good question to always ask ourselves. If my life and attitude defined the culture of outlook, what would that culture be? When we talk about ministry, we don't see it as a pastor doing all the ministry, but every member is a minister and every partner is a participant. Our first role as uh, partners of Outlook is um, as minister, uh, minister, to be a minister, and our first priority is reaching out to those who don't know our Lord Jesus, and the second priority is caring for one another. Our vision is to be a Bible-based, family-friendly, outreach-focused, contemporary church multiplying congregations. So that's our long-term vision. Our mission, what we seek to do is to help people locally in Toowoomba and beyond become fully devoted followers of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just to make a decision about Jesus, but to be fully devoted to Him and to follow Him forever. And that involves a number of things, connecting to God and His family, growing in His Word, serving uh, doing His work, reaching out to those far from God and gathering together to worship. And, uh, and so we have those. We uh, summarize those words. You can see it on your right there. That's connect, grow, serve, reach, and gather. So they're the five things we seek to do and want to help each other grow in to be fully devoted followers of Christ. We uh, see our ministry as... Oh, that didn't come up. Pause, wait. Oh, well, that's very interesting. We will have to come back to that next week. It's not there. <laughs> it's got a box for it, and that's referring to it. Well, they're nice arrows, but they're pointing to nothing. All right, we will look at that next week. I hope you know our ministry. It starts with, do you know, step one? Being a friend to those far from God. And the next thing is to pray for them and then to share a verbal witness. And we'll come back to that and help us to do that. We have our impact cards. And if you haven't got an impact card or your one's got dirty, grab one off the table as you leave. And we put the names down of people who don't know Jesus yet and pray for them that they would come to faith in our Lord Jesus. So grab it, an impact card. So trust you're part of the team, not just an observer of ministry, but uh, building relationships with people who don't know Jesus, praying for them, and praying for opportunities to share and tell them about Jesus and invite them to come and learn more. All right, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Thank you, Warwick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord had assigned each to his task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if any man builds on his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that, he, that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Thank you, Warwick. That's the word of the living God. Let's talk to Father. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, open our eyes and our minds to hear and understand what it might be that you wish to say to us this morning. As we're focusing our eyes on the second coming of our Lord Jesus the coming again and the restoration of all things. We pray that you give us great hope and encouragement and enthusiasm to live for you until that great day. So, Lord, enthuse us and encourage us as we look at your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're doing a series on the second coming and end time events that we started last week. And uh, we said that the four goals of the end times is that Christ has a plan for his church because it's, he's the bridegroom and we are the bride and uh, we're looking forward to that and that's what we're looking at at the moment. He has a plan for Israel for he is their Messiah and we will look at that. He will destroy evil as we saw with the kids this morning and Satan and evil will come to an end and justice will be done and seen to be done because he is the judge of the world. And he will commence the millennium and rule and reign on this earth and bring a time of great peace and prosperity because this is his world and he is its rightful king. And so we're going to look at those aspects of the second coming over the next few months. 
But we're looking at Christ will complete the church and, and present it because it's his bridegroom work. We are the bride and he is the bridegroom. And as we're looking at this, we need to realize that there is a distinction between being saved and what those people who are saved uh, experience or have. We're all saved by faith, whether we lived in the Old Testament times or we live in the church era or we live in the millennium. It's always by faith. Salvation has always been by faith. But what we experience or what is given to us as a saved person, apart from forgiveness of sins, depends on when that person lived, whether in the Old Testament, uh, under the law, or in the church era, or in the millennium. And the bride of Christ is composed of those saved during the church era. The scripture talks about us who are saved now and receive not only forgiveness of sins but the gift of the Holy Spirit and come into the body of Christ the church as the bride of Christ. And Christ has a special place and purpose for the bride. And so that's what we're looking at at the moment. And all true believers who are part of Christ's church, his bride, will share in the following end time events. And they are the rapture of the church, which we looked at last week, the rejoicing of the church that we looked at last week, and then today we want to look at the rewards of the church and the return and reign with Christ. So last week we looked at the rapture of the church and uh, spoke from 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, that those who have already died in Christ will return with the Lord into the air and the returning Christians will be uh, reunited with their bodies, resurrection bodies, and the scripture talks about the perishable will put on the imperishable, that is those bodies that have already perished will put on and will be transformed into bodies that will never perish and the mortal, that's those who are still alive, will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye into immortal bodies that will never die. It's spoken of as the rapture or the being caught up to meet the Lord in the air as his bride, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then we talked about the rejoicing of the church as the church, the bride, is presented to the Father, and then comes the marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, no doubt, John the Baptist and the believers of the Old Testament times will be present there as friends of the bridegroom and the bride. Just like yesterday after we uh, did the wedding for Aaron and um, Nadia, um, Ricks, and, uh, and there were heaps of friends there as well as family, and, uh, and it was a great celebration. So we're looking forward to the bride, the church, being presented to the Father and the celebration that's going to happen the marriage supper of the Lamb. What we want to look at this morning is the rewards of the church and then the return and reign. The Lord promises a reward for services rendered to him as we saw in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning. It talks about uh, different people. Paul says, well, I might have laid the foundation and somebody else builds on that foundation. But we all stand before God and have to give an account to him of what we have built and what we have done. And he says, it was, it, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet he will be saved. So the Lord promises a reward for service rendered to him. Paul puts it this way, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
So when we come to the word judgment, very often we just think, when we think of the word judgment, we think of punishment. But uh, judgment in the Scriptures is wider than. Judgment also means assessment. And so when we come to the rewards of the church, yes, we will be judged, not regarding our sin and whether we're saved or not. That judgment was taken by Christ on the cross and through faith in Him, we receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and therefore we are secure in Him. But this judgment or assessment of Christians is regarding what we have done with what He's given us and the opportunities that He's given us and rewards will be given accordingly and we'll come to that in a moment. And one reward that Paul refers to is the crown of righteousness. And uh, this judgment is known as the judgment seat of Christ. You then, why do you judge your brother? Paul says in Romans, or why do you look down on your brother, your fellow Christian? For we, talking about Christians, the we in these scriptures is talking about fellow Christians, not we, everybody. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And then 2 Corinthians again, talking to Christians, he said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so the judgment seat of Christ is spoken of in uh, Romans 14 and then 2 Corinthians 5. It's based not on the quantity or the greatness but on obedience and faithfulness to Christ in the light of the opportunities that He's given us. This is not a judgment concerning sin, but awards for faithfulness in service. And so Paul challenges us, or even warns us as followers of Jesus, be careful how you judge other believers, because one day we'll all have to give an account. God will make assessment on me and you. This is not a judgment regarding our sin that's taken on the cross. This is that you're baptized by the Spirit and the body of Christ and you've been anointed for a ministry. He's given you gifts and abilities and He's placed you in places of opportunity. And so, have I been obedient to Him? And have I been faithful with the gifts and abilities and the opportunities that He's given me? And have I taken these opportunities and the gifts that He's given me to use? And Jesus told a number of parables to illustrate this. And you remember that, um, <coughs> that sorry, <coughs> the parable of the talents, and one was given five, and one was given three, and one was given two. You remember the, the differences there. And uh, so I won't be judged on the basis of Billy Graham and the gifts that he had. And so often we look at other people and we think, oh, it wouldn't be wonderful. No, I'll be judged or assessed on what God has given to me and what I've done with the gifts and abilities He's given to me and the opportunities He's given to me. And so we will all give an assessment or have an assessment done at the judgment seat of Christ and then rewards will be given. Thank you. Jesus put it this way, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Overcoming and uh, hanging in there in the face of persecution. Great is your reward in heaven. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. When we stand before him as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ. That I did not run or labor for nothing. And so Paul is 
encouraging believers to keep going because one day he'll give an account for what he's done. And so the rewards for the Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, in Luke chapter 22, uh, these awards seem to have some reference to administrative functions in the kingdom, as we'll come to later on. Talking to these disciples, he said this, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We'll come back to that and a little further. Allah. But I just want to encourage us that there is coming what we call the judgment seat of Christ, that we will give an account for our life. Not whether we'll be saved or not, but what we've built on that foundation of Christ will be tested by fire to see if it's done in obedience and in, in, in dependence upon God, and so it's gold or silver, uh, or whether it's been in our own strength and doing our own thing, and it's wood and hay and stubble, it'll be burnt up. We ourselves will be saved because that is dependent on Christ's uh, salvation, but what we've built on that uh, will be judged on the basis of obedience or faithfulness. And so I think the Apostle Paul would challenge us as we look forward to the return of our Lord Jesus and the judgment seat of Christ, that we need to toughen up, tough it out, take a grip till he comes. Toughen up, tough it out, take a grip, grip till he comes. Paul says, as we read before, I have fought the good fight. He talks about the Christian life as a fight, not that we need to get angry, but that it's not easy. Sometimes we think, come to Jesus and we'll have no more problems and everything will be easy. Well, in this world, until Jesus comes back and we see new heavens and new earth, uh, the picture Paul has for living the Christian life is a fight. It takes effort. So toughen up. I have finished the race Tough it out. Don't give up. Don't quit. Others may quit on the body of Christ, the church. Others may say, oh, I don't follow Jesus anymore. I don't believe it anymore. But finish the race. Stay the course. Don't give up. I have kept the faith. Hold on. When it seems like God is not there, when it seems like he doesn't listen, when he seems like he's far away, you see, it's easy to have faith when everything's going great, isn't it? Easy to trust God when everything's going fine. But faith is really tested when everything's going opposite, when everything's going pear-shaped. And the word it uses of Abraham is that he staked himself upon God. God said he'd become a great nation and he didn't even have a kid. It looked like impossible. And now he was old and looked like humanly impossible that this could never happen. But Abraham staked himself on God, it says. Staked himself on God. God has made a promise and I will hold on to his promise no matter what it looks like. I will trust God. He kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Till he comes. Till he comes. So toughen up. Tough it out, take your grip till he comes. So the idea and the teaching of the second coming is not in order that we can argue about it. It's to challenge us to get ready for it. And the first thing is that we've been challenged here this morning is we will give an account. So be careful how you judge others in the body of Christ and what they're doing is uh, my dad used to say, every man stands or falls before his own master. 
son, you'll have to give an account to God for what you've done with the gifts that he's given you and the opportunities he's given you. You'll give an account. So careful how you judge everybody else. They're not doing this and they're not doing that. Well, I'm not accountable for them in that sense. They will give an account to God and so will I. Have I been faithful? Have I been obedient to the gifts and abilities and the opportunities he's given me? And I will stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And what I've done will be burnt to see whether it was done in faith and obedience or whether it was my own idea. And then, not only the rewards of the church, but the next thing when it comes to the bridegroom work of Christ, the rapture of the church, he'll come for his church. Then the rejoicing, he'll present the church and we'll have the great supper of the Lamb. Then there'll be the rewards for the church as uh, we, our, our ministry is assessed and he gives out the rewards uh, for faithfulness and service to him. And then the return and reign with Christ as he comes back to earth, the return with Christ. The scripture says this, when our Lord returns to, to this world to initiate the day of the Lord, the scripture says Christians will return with him in Revelation 19 and Jude 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. Or as one translation says, with his saints. That's the same word, saints or holy ones. Sometimes in some parts of the scripture, it's translated as angels. And some would see it as angels. But it's also, the scripture talks about you and me, the body of Christ, as the saints, the holy ones set apart for God's purpose. And we're also spoken of those who are dressed in the robes of righteousness, the white robes that Christ has given. So I'm suggesting to you that this is a picture of the bride of Christ coming with our Lord Jesus on the day of his return to this earth. We are the armies of heaven riding on white horses dressed in fine linen, the righteousness of Christ, white and clean. Uh, the thousands upon thousands of his saints, his holy ones, as Paul speaks to of us in Romans as saints, set apart ones for God. And so we will return with Christ on the day of the Lord. We'll return to the Mount of Olives where Christ will take over from the beast and the false prophet and set up the judgment of the nations, of the Gentiles. Men of Galilee, as Jesus was going back to heaven, the angel said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then Zechariah tells us, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's where he left from, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. So the return of Christ will be to the Mount of Olives. Then Christ will take over from the beast and the false prophet and set up the judgment of the Gentiles. We read about that in Matthew 25. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And that passage of 25, Matthew 25, is used in a lot of settings to say a lot of things, but in its context it's talking about the return of Christ and the judgment of the Gentile nations. 
and Christians will be judging with him. Paul says in Corinthians, don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? And so this return with Christ also sets up a reign with Christ, at the renewal of all things. Christ will reign on the earth. There's a role for the disciples reigning over the 12 tribes. And then there's a role for believers. His church will reign with him. For the Scripture says Christians will reign with Christ. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, at the time of the great restoration that the disciples were looking forward to, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, talking to his disciples, will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You've got to ask the question, did Jesus actually mean that? Or was he saying this tunning cheek? Was this just of a con? Or did he actually mean what he said? And we'll look at this a little bit more when we come to speak on the millennium. And then in Luke 22, you are those who stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And judges in the Old Testament were not only people who made decisions and assessment and judged matters, but they were also leaders. Read the book of Judges. They were also leaders over the people of Israel. And Christians will reign with Christ when Jesus is talking to the church in the book of the Revelation. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. To him who overcomes, talking to the believers in the church. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat with my Father on his throne. So just as Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, we literally believe that has happened and has done. Jesus is saying, I will give you the right, those who overcome, believers, to sit with me on my throne. Is he just pretending? Is this some sort of ethereal concept? Or is this actually what he means? I believe it's actually what he means, that this is God's world. And we have tried to run it and rule it, human beings without God, and we've messed it up. But there is coming a day when Christ will rule and reign on this earth and bring a time of peace that we've never known before. And his bride will reign and rule with him. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And so this, the place of this reign is on the earth at the renewal of all things when Christ reigns on the earth and the disciples reign and rule over the 12 tribes and believers will reign with him. And so we see the rapture of the church, the rejoicing of the church, the rewards of the church, the return and reign with Christ. That's his bridegroom work. That's what he's got planned for believers who are part of the bride of Christ in this church era, that he's coming back for us. And he will bring those who have already 
gone to be with him and we'll receive resurrection bodies and we'll meet him in the air. We will then have a great time of rejoicing as we're presented to the Father and enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we will stand and be at the judgment seat of Christ to receive our rewards for faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And part of that responsibility is to rule and reign with him on his throne, with him, as Jesus said. And so we will return with Christ and rule and reign with Christ on this earth. That's his bridegroom work. So how should it impact us? May I suggest three things? Grow up. Don't quit. Be faithful. Don't you know you're going to judge angels? You need to grow up. Do I know God's word? Paul, or the writer of the Hebrews, is saying, by this time you ought to be teaching others about the Christian faith, but you still need somebody to teach you. You're still on milk. You should be on solid food. You need to grow up. You need to read the word and know the word and get to obey the word. We need to grow up spiritually. God is preparing us to rule and reign with him might be hard to believe, but to even make assessment of angels. So we need to grow up. Don't quit. As Paul is encouraging us to fight the good fight and keep the faith and finish the race. There'll be many things in life that'll cause you, and you'll get hurt in a church or in ministry or whatever, and you'll think, oh, what's the use? Let's quit. Don't quit. And be faithful. Be faithful, because one day you'll be stand before the one who was faithful even to death, that made possible your forgiveness and the gift of eternal life that you enjoy. So ask for his help to be just like him, to be faithful, to hold on to the faith and stay true, and to serve him and love him and obey him till Jesus comes, because it'll be worth it all. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I hope that's the words you want to hear on that great day. So don't compare yourself with other people and what they're doing because you're not judged on the gifts or assessed on the gifts and opportunities and the abilities that they have been given, you'll be assessed on the gifts and the opportunities and how obedient you've been with what God has said to you. So may the Lord help us each to follow him, to obey him, to serve him with the gifts and opportunities he's given each one of us. Grow up, don't quit, be faithful. Christ will complete the church and present it that's his bridegroom work. So I want to finish and ask the question, are you part of his bride? Have you been born again of his spirit and come into his family? Have you turned from your sin and trusted his death on the cross for your forgiveness? And have you received the gift of his Holy Spirit and baptized into his body, the church, which is his bride? If you haven't, why not today? whether in this service or when you go home, on your own, somewhere quiet, just talk to Father and ask Him to forgive you 
and ask him by his Holy Spirit to come into your life and put your trust in Jesus' death on the cross for your acceptance with God and your forgiveness. Because it's by faith you're saved, not by anything you can do. By trusting what God's done for you and be part of his bride, the church. That's why we love the church. Because it's the bride of Christ, like Aaron yesterday, who was all aglow because his beautiful bride was standing with him. And he got all emotional. (laughs) And so Christ is coming for his bride. And you and I are his bride, his church. He's died for the church. He lives by his spirit in the church. And he's coming for his church. So let's love one another and care for his church and build his church and grow his church and love his church because that's his bride that he's coming from. for. Let's pray. Father, I pray for any here this morning who have never experienced that transformation that only you can when you come into our life by your Holy Spirit. I pray that whether right now or when they go home, they will, in prayer by faith, say, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe he died and rose again. And I invite him to enter into my life, forgive my sins, and give me the gift of eternal life, the gift of his Spirit. Give them the faith to believe. And Lord, for us as your church, your bride, will you help us to keep our eyes on the goal of your return? Will you help us to grow up in the faith? Will you help us not to quit? Will you help us to be faithful? Will you be, help us to be careful in assessing others and making judgment on others and realize one day you will make it a judgment on us, an assessment of our faith and obedience. So help us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient, we pray, so that we will hear your words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in the name of the one who rose from the dead and is coming in power and glory to rule and reign on this earth. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.